0: Hi welcome to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Um, My guest today is Daki from uh, outside Brighton in the UK and our plan today is to talk about uh, what we're looking for in the upcoming season. So, welcome Daki. What are you looking for?
1: (laughs) Everything. I want it all, Nick. (laughs) Um, Well, so I I thought we could chat a bit about... um yeah, the upcoming season, you know, uh, it's getting colder and the stock in vintage stores, as well as other stores, but mainly vintage stores, which is what I'm focusing on is sort of shifting. And obviously you have the new challenge of uh, not being always able to access stores directly. I'm doing a lot more online shopping, which again, for vintage, I guess is, a is especially, uh, difficult at times. Uh, but yeah, so, um, I thought we, we could uh, chat a bit about what what the what we're hoping to find uh, for this upcoming season
0: so there are two things uh, that strike me here one is the fact that most of us are spending a lot of time indoors now so we're looking for loungewear maybe the second is it's the season of cold dark wind being a bit miserable well that's a Lounge wear again, isn't it? Unless we go outside, when we want something that's windproof, waterproof, warm, and uh, preferably nice.
1: Yeah. Um, having said that, though, to be honest, I, I think I've sort of realised. Well, I mean, not 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 to spend the rest of the time talking about the you know all the COVID and lockdown issues, but I think I've sort of realised that uh, I need to have sort of little rituals uh, in place so I don't feel. Too depressed about everything, and one of those is actually just putting on uh, clothes uh, that I normally would, despite the lockdown. So, I've done my best to not just um, look for cashmere (laughs) loungewear and sort of live in that. Uh, I'm sort of wearing normal garbs as I normally would Uh, because that makes me feel a little bit more normal.
0: That's a good point, really. Um, I can't get into the sort of lounge lizard uh, thing either. Um, But I do find myself maybe avoiding the sort of heaviest of denims and thickest of jumpers when I'm basically inside. Mm. Um, But there is something about just getting out and wearing something you like and maybe meeting someone. So we do need nice stuff to wear. Mm. Of course, most of us do have stuff in the closet already, because uh, we do buy stuff that lasts a long time and is well-made, Alright?
1: Yes, and we definitely don't have duplicates of things, do we, Nick?
0: Never, never. <laughs> that would be a, a sin against the cult of garmology, uh, unless they're collectibles.
1: <laughs> Which everything is.
0: Well, strictly speaking, yes. <laughs>
1: Actually, on that topic, one thing that uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna expose you, but one thing I know that you're a bit of an expert on, and which I am looking to get for this season, is a nice coat. And I'm thinking maybe an overcoat, or maybe sort of a semi formal ish coat that I can mix. And um, so I'm I'm thinking sort of something tweedy, probably raglan sleeve, but this is, it could be set sleeve um, as well. So that's the sort of, sort of rough sketch of things: tweed, semi-formal-ish, ideally with a belt if possible. Uh, but yeah, coat. What, what do you think? Are, are there sort of any advice you'd give me on that?
0: Oh well, there's uh, quite a few options there, both new and old, really. Mm. Um, I think raglan sleeve is a good idea because it means that you're not so. Uh, set on what sizing you choose. Uh, Overcoats, I mean, vintage overcoats tend to be huge because Mm. they're intended to be worn on the outside of another jacket. Uh, I don't think sort of current modern style tends to wear them in the same way. So if you're looking at a vintage jacket, say marked a size 40, that will be 40 with another jacket on the inside. It's not a 40 inch chest. Which is an easy trap to fall into whereas you might want a size 36 if you're just wearing it on its own so it's you're well advised to check the measurements properly there but there are a lot of really nice vintage um, overcoats, coats available um, you do have the sort of classic um, classic British brands like Crombie Inverterre, Burberry Uh, Especially in Viteur, you can find pretty reasonably, and they are super well made. Mm. Uh, Whether you find them with a belt and raglan, I mean, you are sort of narrowing it down a bit there, Uh, and tweed in addition. I mean, you do have modern choices as well there. Uh, I have a buck trout Harris tweed one, which has both belt and raglan sleeves, which is very nice. Is that the Uh, one
1: you? I think I saw the post on that recently. Didn't was that grey one?
0: I did when I was looking very orthodox on Instagram with my hat on, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was that one buck trout in a it's grey herringbone Harris Tweed. Yeah.
1: What do you think about quality in terms of tweeds? Has that changed in vintage? Is that a myth? Is that real?
0: It is real that they have changed. at some point, I think it might have been late 90s, uh, Harris Tweed went to a lighter weight. So you could now talk about vintage weight Harris Tweed, which was woven with thicker yarns. Um, I have a um, a jacket uh, made from some tweed I picked up uh, about five years ago when I visited Harris, which was woven with especially thick yarns and was, well, we jokingly described it as proper, proper Harris Tweed then. Yeah, so this was
1: the episode you had on Harris Tweed, wasn't it?
0: That's right, uh, the vintage weight Norfolk jacket I have. Uh, I don't know whether you can sort of really notice it uh, that much when you're handling it, but there is the old Tweed is definitely thicker than the new Tweed. I think, like many things, Harry... The Harris Tweed also went to a more sort of fashionable, uh, drapey tweed. Um, like many things, have gone the way of uh, from workwear utility to more fashionable cuts. Um, I mean, you could take Barber for example. Uh, barber before two thousand compared to Barber after two thousand, quite different uh, from utilitarian farmer wear to. Um, Well, fashionable wear.
1: Sort of stiffer, sort of hardier, but maybe less comfortable, takes longer to break in, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and more looser, more forgiving cuts. Uh, I mean, you can see bell stuff, uh, new versus old. Nowadays, it's all uh, slimline cuts for the young blades and dames, whereas before it was sturdy motorcycle wear.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You see that in American brands like Carhartt. I don't know if you've seen, but they've released all sorts of new additions. And it's also based on the original workwear designs. But they've just trimmed it in places, you know, made it a little bit slimmer or, you know, put the pocket uh, in a less utilitarian but better visual place and that sort of thing. And it's quite interesting. Uh, they sort of get the combination because ideally what you have then is something that actually is that looks sort of more, you know, not formal, but more sort of appropriate for non-pure workwear uh, settings, um, but then still has some of the quality uh, of the original garment. And that's the sort of ideal uh, combination, isn't it? But then sometimes what happens is it, over time, becomes completely watered down. So remember the conversation you had on the barber jackets and other brands, not, not pointing any particular brands out, but conversation you had <laughs> about that seemed to be that actually yeah over time you did see a real sort of decline in, in the quality is that would that be fair
0: i think that's very fair and i think it's um it's the spreadsheet mentality that comes into it uh when you start comparing costs of what you're making and you're adjusting the numbers and you see that if you uh you make some savings on the zips and the hardware and uh, you get the fabric a bit cheaper and uh ooh, look at, that. at the end of the day we're we're making 10% more profit on it. Uh, and what you end up with then is something that looks better, more fashionable, but really isn't as long-lasting. Um, I noticed the same when buying Dickie's uh, workwear-style trousers for the for the kids. Mm. Uh, I mean, they look like proper workwear, but they don't last. They're so thin and flimsy. Uh, and it's a shame because the brands are really not thinking long-term they're taking a hard-won hard-earned heritage which goes back decades and they're sort of trying to cash in quick
1: uh, yeah I, I mean i don't work in the garment industry so i'm uh, probably uh, you know not not the best person to speak on this but I, like in my head at least i've sort of come up with uh, the rationalization that this probably happens over time so you know you do it year by year and you make these small downgrades in your garments every year and you think surely no one will notice that the zip isn't riri, but it's sort of a generic uh zipper uh, and by doing that we increase our profits by one percent or whatever and then you do that over 10 years and then slowly you've downgraded not just the zip but you know the stitching and the fabric and uh, everything else you possibly could and then you sort of at at year 10 you sort of now have a completely different product but from year to year you probably don't notice the difference
0: well that's the thing i mean you started out making it in your own factory with your own qualified workers making a solid luxury well maybe not luxury but a a solid product that you stood behind and uh, as you say over time you've whittled it away you've uh, started producing offshore you've finding the cheapest possible production factory and the cheapest possible components, and you're just completely downgrading it. And at some point, I mean, people will notice. Uh, I mean, Dr. Martin's is the sort of example we keep coming back to, yeah, yeah, yeah. where you have a, a product of almost mythical heritage. I mean, you, so many people grew up with them. They lasted forever. Uh, and they just, they're just just sort of hoping to find appear as good as they used to be and they're just so disappointed and the factory just not taking it in that their product is trash these days and arguing that oh no the product's still the same it's just the customers who are mistaken it's not very smart
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of shoe brands actually are in that category unfortunately even like converse is another example or vans you know if you get the made in america or the made in the u.s uh ones the um the vintage ones, they, they last way longer. I mean, the soles are visibly thicker as well. And so it isn't just the, it isn't just the thing about, uh, you know, sort of uh, a rarity uh, issue. It, it's genuinely better quality. You know, these old ones that were made in even the 80s, they will, you know, still last three times as long as any of the other modern ones, which is a little bit um, of oh, a shame, really. But, you know, we, we probably all know the reasons for it. So just okay. just to sort of check with you is um sorry because I'm 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 still keen on making sure that I get all, all my information about uh, the tweed jackets out of you because
0: <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm going to be back to that
1: <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be shopping for this even over this weekend um in terms of um getting something and then if you were to uh, think about things that can be fixed or uh, things to avoid one of the things is obviously uh, cleaning it. What's the sort of uh, best way on that, do you think?
0: That depends a lot on who you ask, I think. Right. Um, A lot of people will say, oh, it must be dry cleaned. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure dry cleaning is fine. I just have no real experience with it. I think it's just something that never really comes up for me. But, I mean, tweed is wool and... They're not made in any specific way that should cause problems, so I have no problem at all washing them using wool detergent and a gentle wash, i.e. Not too, um, not too hot water, not any vicious spin drying. Gently in a bucket is fine for me. And I have done this on some jackets that were horror shows of dirt. Uh, I think I probably have world records both in the smelliest barber around and dirtiest weed jackets around, and both have ended up in buckets of warm water with detergent and come out fine. Uh, So, I mean, if you have a a cheap, reasonable, environmentally friendly dry cleaner nearby, that might work. Um, But uh, failing that, some wool detergent and a bucket of lukewarm water is fine. Uh, you do have to uh i mean you have to shape the jacket a bit afterwards, use some steam to sort of steam it right. It's a good idea to hang it out or lay it flat and just smooth it out proper while it's still wet and it will take a few days to dry. It's amazing how much water they can hold
1: oh yeah I mean even but, just an um, overshirt or something you know it takes ages <laughs> it's just like the the last few drops in the sleeve seem to stay there for a week
0: oh yeah um. But, uh, I mean, most things can be fixed. Uh, A tweed jacket tends to be made quite properly. I mean, it's made mainly by human beings. There's no robots involved. So anything that a human has made, a human can take apart and fix, usually. Uh, You do have kind of problems with the moths having eaten holes, and your luck in repairing that depends a bit on the sort of pattern and tweed used. Uh, I have, with um, good results, used a technique called felting. I have a video on on the YouTube covering that as well, which has got quite a few views now. Works best for um, for solid colours. I'll admit that, but it's an interesting technique where using a, a sharp needle with a sort of fishhook barb and just loose wool, you can actually build up and repair holes. Uh, and it's uh, pretty much as good as you afterwards, depending on your skill in it. It's a very interesting technique, and uh, it's a shame I never noticed it before. Um,
1: That sounds very sustainable.
0: It it is very sustainable, because there are so many wool garments that get tossed in the bin because the moths have eaten some holes in them. Yeah. And it doesn't take many moth holes for a garment to look pretty tatty. But um, if, say, if it's a navy blue, black gray um or even if you like a bit of visible mending you could uh, you could felt it and it's as good as new
1: what about things like um the construction of it you know in terms of whether for example i mean ideally you would want something that sort of has the inside sort of sewn together rather than um you know glued and all that sort of stuff but do you do you tend to check that
0: i I have to admit I probably don't because they tend to be made so well that it's never been a problem. Um, I do – I'm not a huge fan of the sort of old uh, two, three-button Harris tweed sport coat blazer style, which I think is the style everyone thinks about when you mention, oh, you fancy a tweed jacket, and they think, oh, yeah, like my granddad had. Yeah. But uh, there are more sort of up-to-date versions available new today, or you can quite easily change a 2-3 button blazer into a 4-5 button more contemporary cut by straightening out the front uh, labels. Again, something I have done, done yeah, and documented on the blog.
1: Yeah, that was a great one actually. It made me think because I've seen endless amounts of them and exactly that reason I thought, I mean, the kind of looks like a geography teacher's outfit, but <laughs> um but maybe if I was to change it like you did, I need to upgrade my sewing machine, but then you know it begins to look quite different.
0: That's the thing, you hardly even need a sewing machine and you can I mean you can pick up second hand Harris tweed in good condition all day every day for say 40 50 pounds a jacket oh, yeah, and that's prob- probably on the expensive end of it the one i used for my experiment i found in a charity shop in liverpool and it was filthy i don't think that's a sort of uh, common trait between old Harry streets i don't think they're all filthy and i don't think all old barbers are smelly <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there are certainly a good few of them which is uh it's a bit strange and a bit disturbing. Makes you wonder what people do in them.
1: Well, you know what it is, and this is sort of a broader point about buying used and vintage. I mean, more vintage than used. Um, but so, for example, when my wife goes shopping uh, in vintage stores, uh, I'm always, I'm often very jealous of the stuff that she can find, because not that I want to wear it. I mean, most of it wouldn't fit me or look good on me, <laughs> but. Um, The condition of the stuff that you find for women is, I mean, it's just unbelievable compared to men's. Um, And I think you can sort of explain that in some ways. I mean, there's something about men tend to keep stuff until, again, this is a caricature, obviously, like I don't fall in this category. Um, But, you know, a lot of men, especially in the past, would have kept their stuff until it fell apart or, you know, they just couldn't squeeze into it anymore. Uh, and it became sort of, uh, a, sort of uh, a thing that everyone commented on and eventually they gave up on it. Um, but whereas women would often have like these nice sort of uh, outfits and maybe they would sort of change more. And so they would, they would actually have different uh, sets of clothes. And so they don't tend to wear the stuff to death as much. And so the result over time is that I think women, women's vintage – you often find really nice stuff in really good condition. Whereas the men, if they had a favorite pair of jack boots or a jacket or whatever, they would have just destroyed it and eventually might end up in the vintage store, but it's almost fallen apart. And so it's much more rare to find things, I think in, in really good condition.
0: That's an interesting, uh, interesting point because there clearly is a lot more vintage or secondhand clothing for women available. Um, that is clearly one reason why it might be so that the men actually wear wear it to pieces. I think possibly another point of view might be that it seems women are a lot more open to or interested in buying vintage and second hand. Um, this might be changing now, but I think there is a it is a small subset of of males that actually go out looking for vintage. Or are willing and interesting interested in, in looking at what might be available secondhand?
1: Yes, yeah, that's true as well.
0: Now I know there is a lively secondhand trade in newer or more specialist male clothing uh, on, say, forums and eBay and Etsy, etc. But that's not really the sort of the vintage market. It's uh, it's more. Uh, expensive and uh, unusual stuff market is also a good uh, example of that and i think males tend to go then for the more expensive stuff whilst women have a lively trade in lots of cheap stuff as well via depop or whatever I might be totally talking out of my... No, I think I think it's there, true.
1: I think it's true. I mean, you know, when I compare it to stuff, uh, you know, that my wife can get, I mean, but, you know, the, the flip side of that tends to also be that um, the price of women's stuff tends to be, you know, you can often get, like, really uh, nice uh, stuff but not very much money uh, because the, there's more of a spread of things that people might want, whereas men's, where I find, you know, there's those sort of... Key items uh, that people want, and the price of those things are, can be driven up, you know, to sort of astronomical prices sometimes. You know, um, for vintage garments, uh, which is quite interesting. Again, uh, that you know, you, you can find really nice quality stuff in women's wear for not very much money, and you can do that with men's as well. But I just think sometimes they, they don't have as much of those sort of single hyped items. You know, whether that's like a particular type of military jacket or you know
0: that sort of thing i think that's definitely so i mean if you're just looking at item compared to item instead of looking at say oh this is a first edition m65 field jacket versus this one which is 15 years new and really not as interesting from a collector's point of view mm-hmm. then uh I mean, prices are wildly different uh, you might have two military shirts. One is that version, the other is that version, and the price is wildly different. Um, but um, once you're looking at more sort of gentlemen's, I mean, back to the overcoats, I mean, you can find some amazing stuff at really low prices. As long as the moths haven't got them, it appears that not many people are that interested, even though they are fantastic. Mm. Uh, but the brand name does have a a point so you might have a a brand like a burberry jacket or a crombie will command a much higher price but find say an inverter from the same period it was the same sort of quality manufacturer at the time but it just disappeared and people don't know it any longer and it will be really cheap
1: yeah, so this is the, I think this is the really interesting about, for, I mean, for, so people buy vintage for various reasons, right? So, um, you know, there might be bit about just sort of almost social history and, uh, just the, or it could be something aesthetic about the look and style of the particular stuff. But like value can really come into it because the difference between buying something new versus buying something used or old or vintage is that I guess the price of a new garment needs to reflect the production cost. Uh, obviously, there'll be markups for certain brands as well, and all that stuff. But fundamentally, it's also about the cost of production. Uh, whereas the price of vintage stuff is often more about the you know the interplay between desirability and rarity, and um, and and sort of I guess storage costs in a way, which is sort of the same across all types of clothing. So that's why I think like if you find things that so so the, that so the reason that that's sort of interesting is because often uh, the cost of uh, production can be much higher than what you actually pay for something used, right? So that's why jackets are so uh, interesting in the sort of in the vintage shops because you know you could find something that will probably cost two hundred pounds to produce today, but you get it at forty fifty quid because it's not a particular style that anyone sort of finds to be rare or desirable in sort of a sort of a hype way, but it's still a re- fundamentally really solid good jacket. And obviously that's like uh, you can find loads of the military jackets that fall into that category. Uh, But also, you know, things like hunting jackets is another one. Like some of these old um, Mackinac, American Mackinac stuff, which, you know, Mm. they'll they'll last a lifetime and you can get them for, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 quid where Mm. the modern equivalent to that, uh, just the production alone would be, I don't know, five, 10 uh, times that price. Well, I think you'd
0: uh, you'd be looking at three or 400 uh, from, a, from a sort of recognized brand these days in good uh, good quality fabrics and so forth. Yeah. And I mean, if they've already lasted this long, <laughs> I mean, they've, they've pretty much proven themselves. Yeah. Although, if they have lasted this long and they're still looking good, they might not have been used much. Sure. Nothing, nothing really lasts forever.
1: Well, so this is the other thing which is annoying about vintage stores is that the reason often uh, the things fall... Um, or are sort of in mint conditions because they're a size that no one could wear. You know, either they're sort of for a mouse or for Hulk. And that's the other thing that's really frustrating. <laughs> so if yeah. you're for the it's usual a sh- size... You're it's you're a shame blown. vintage
0: shops can't carry a full-size range of everything. <laughs> <Yeah. they have.
1: laughs> exactly. What's that about? Mm. Ah, it's get crazy. a travel machine. You know, a travel machine. Go back, get me all the sizes, Give me a, you know, give me the choice...
0: But then again, people were smaller in olden days. So all these fantastic styles you might have found, say, 50 to 100 years ago, just weren't really around that much because people were shorter and less heavy. So uh, for the larger humans of today, it's just not ever been made.
1: And also if it's been washed a million times and, you know, possibly at the wrong temperatures, <laughs> that tends oh, to do yeah. things to things as well. So actually, the ty- that's dip- sorry, go on.
0: No, the typical Pendleton shirt problem, where exactly. anything marked XL today is, be washed so many times, it is actually a medium.
1: <laughs> so that's, that's actually like another thing, is because especially now, so if you go into a vintage store, you can obviously feel the wool, and I guess if you feel enough shirts, to realize what it should feel like, um, but that's something I find really tricky, especially online, is when you're shopping, is figuring out, especially with wool, has this been destroyed or not? You know, because pictures often don't tell the full story, and depending really? on the seller, you can't always get the right information out of them.
0: No, that is a is a problem. Um, I mean, things that were made before they started mixing synthetics in it. A one case and then you sort of have the time when they started putting polyester into the wool which did make it more durable uh, but it's a whole different case again and nowadays I mean, I when I'm about looking at stuff, I, I look at tags all over the place just because out of curiosity can I feel them? Can I look at the tag? Did I guess it right? Mm. And you have stuff that's made of 100% synthetics, 100% polyester and it feels wonderful. It feels so nice. And then I'm so disappointed when I look at the label and the current trend of uh, fleece vests and jackets. I mean, I see even brands that uh, that talk about uh, sustainability over everything. They're still 100% polyester. And it's so surprising. I mean, there's so much wool in the world that could have been used. And Yes, at a greater cost, but you see some of these uh, fleeces, I mean, they're 500 quid. Yeah. And you can easily market a wool fleece for 200.
1: Yeah, that's, 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 that is one really obvious um, issue at the moment. And it's really funny, a lot of sort of more, uh, uh, more contemporary brands that are really big on the, the sort of sustainability and whether and even animal rights and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, they'll, they'll go really big on all those issues. And then, yeah, they'll have a load of synthetic uh, products. And you think, how does, how does that square off? Like, clearly that <laughs> doesn't make any, any sort of sense. And especially when, you know, I mean, yes, there's different qualities of polyester, I'm sure. But ultimately, you know, polyester is more or less polyester. And so, the, you know, the range of costs that you see for some basic polyester fleece or whatever... Is just incredible. You just see stuff that you know, anything from thirty pounds to three hundred, and surely the material is ninety nine percent the same.
0: Well, I mean, it's all based off fossil fuels. Uh, You'll have some that uh, claim to be recycled, and it may be recycled or it may not be because apparently there is a lot of um, dodgy goings on there. But even recycled polyester is still shedding microplastics. So, is it that much better than? virgin polyester i don't think so
1: so what about is is in sort of within that sort of uh, tied together with jackets uh, that are wool i guess you don't wash them as much uh so is the polyester content because of that less problematic or how, how do you approach that well
0: it's it's a tricky one because um take an old duffel coat uh I mean that will go on for 50 years or so but it will have about a 70% wool content. I'm thinking of um, mm. old glove say or or even old army peacoats, naval peacoats. Uh I mean they will have if they are from post polyester times some polyester content in them. And I mean when it comes to sustainability I think at some point you have to be a bit pragmatic and think that what is the value of having a coat and having it last 50 to 75 years or so versus not having that polyester in it and changing it every, what say, 10 years for a good coat? It's a bit like having a having a car. I mean, what is more sustainable than keeping the car you have running and taking care of it, making sure that the emissions are as low as they can be, or... Buying a new car every three years because the car maker says it's a lot more environmentally friendly. Keeping in mind that the major environmental impact of a car is being built in the first place. It's it's a tricky old uh, argument, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, it's I, I. This is where, especially with vintage, it can be really tricky because I don't. You know, I tend to always check the label, and that's sort of one thing that anyone is getting into uh, – or is curious about getting into vintage, um, that that's a really good starting point, it's, you know, understanding fabrics. Um, and Your listeners might be well ahead of me on all these issues. But so if you, you'll you see different decades obviously have very different fabric compositions, uh, and that's sort of an interesting thing. Um, but when you want to buy stuff, you know, I always sort of – you know, I, I, I find it often tricky to um, decide – you know, is is it good enough to just like the garment, um, and then sort of um, maybe accept some uh, amount of polyester or other sort of synthetic fabrics in it? Uh, yeah, especially uh, and I'll tell you an area where I'm I'm particularly interested, uh, but um, where I find it really tricky is sportswear. Ooh. So I really, I, there's something that I really love about vintage sportswear, and just um, just something about the visuals, about the colors, the you know the, the sort of the history with all the random schools and awesome sort of names of teams that you can find, uh, all that sort of stuff. But a lot of them have like a lot of synthetic fabrics in them, oh, yeah. including things like rayon. And I shouldn't say this, and this probably makes me a horrible person. But when you see rayon, and it's really patinated and old, and probably has you know leaked all sorts of terrible things into uh, water and soil, it looks really good. I've, <laughs> have you ever I'm seen not sure that? It makes
0: you a ho- horrible person, <laughs> but it might make you a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> both, I am That's um, fine. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, sportswear has ever since they stopped making it purely in cotton, I think has been problematic on a few different levels. Uh, I mean, even today, or especially today, when you have all these um, tech fabrics with various chemicals added to reduce uh, odour and so forth, even uh, antimicrobial uh, chemicals, um, a lot of that is really not good at all for the environment. Uh possibly even not very good to have against your skin Uh, but say 90s um, synthetic sportswear which appears to be hugely popular now I don't see anyone wearing it but the vintage shops seem to be full of it so it's clearly something that is fashionable in vintage circles now I don't know. I mean, it's uh, if it's polyester, it's probably shedding microplastics. But if it's not being used much, then does it make a difference whether it's been incinerated or whether it's hanging in your closet? I'm not sure. I mean, you have people who really like, uh, say, old classic Gore-Tex jackets of the early era. Um, this was something I asked a, a professional about. Whether uh, say an old Gore-Tex would be better than a new one, environmentally speaking, but apparently Gore-Tex degrades and sheds more and more microplastics the older it gets. So, an old one is actually uh, a lot worse than a new one.
1: So that's interesting because I have a lovely vintage uh, Deer Hunter, you um, know, hollow bar uh, jacket. And now I'm thinking I shouldn't have bought it in the first place, Nick. Like, thanks for ruining it. Well,
0: you just uh, you just have to make sure you don't use it.
1: Oh, I can look at it. That's fine.
0: You, you just have a display case for it.
1: Yeah, I can just curb on it in my, in my uh, privacy. That's fine.
0: But but that's the same argument that goes for say a vintage car. If you have an old car, that uh, yes, it does pollute more when driving uh, than a brand new car. But then again, how often do you drive it? So having uh, a vintage jacket that sheds microplastics uh it might not be such a terrible thing if you don't use it that often
1: so but, so i think the thing about the the rainproof stuff is is really interesting because i spent quite a bit of time looking for um a rain jacket and i remember speaking to you about this last year is it's really tricky to find something that's waterproof, breathable, and good for the environment. Uh, You can sort of get two of the three, but getting all three in one is very tricky.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the whole breathable thing, I mean, I've seen discussions on that, and there's a lot of disagreement on whether a truly breathable jacket or fabric even exists. So... That might be a bit hard to fulfil, anyway. Um, and then it depends whether is it a drizzle you want to keep out, or is it a downpour? Because, say, the old bonded cotton, like uh, the Macintosh uh, and um, Hancock make, which is a very, very classic uh, rubberized cotton. I mean, it uh, it does keep water out totally. It also keeps water in totally. Yeah, exactly. So, unless you have ventilation in it, it can be quite unpleasant. Uh, Or unless you are standing very still, just move very, very slowly
1: for your Instagram pictures.
0: Yeah, I mean (laughs) that would be a case. (laughs) Put the jacket on, stand still, take the photos. That's it. Let's go home. Um, I did once spend a busy day running around London in a uh, a K-born cameraman uh, of the first type with the Macintosh upper that does get very, very damp inside does it? If, if you're working up a sweat I mean, the, the fabric does not it's impermeable both ways yeah
1: so that's probably uh, terrible for a camera by the way, but that's
0: a that's a, lower, it's a, that's, a, that's, a that's a weird jacket in general because you've got the, the Macintosh upper which doesn't let water in or out and then you've got the tweed lower half which you wouldn't in, wear don't want everything
1: that drips off the top
0: Yeah, it's just weird. I've never found anyone who could really tell me
1: what it looks good, though. Nick, this is the thing. Who cares?
0: Well, that's the thing. But I do like my (laughs) stuff to work. I mean, there's nothing more annoying than a a garment that that looks good but actually is totally flawed. (laughs) And there's there's a lot of them about. Once you, I mean, the pockets in the wrong place, or they do do up properly, or the hood is terrible. I mean, how hard is it to make a hood that actually is well made but they're often sort of afterthoughts and just do not work properly uh, that's, that said that's the camera the, the cameraman did have a good hood though.
1: oh does it okay
0: and yeah there's well, so many others that don't have good hoods though.
1: <laughs> well yeah no genuinely the hoods are really an issue um, I've definitely had that and I've, I've, I've had my fair share of you know rain jackets and this is the thing where you sort of find stuff and you, yeah, you're as you said, inevitably you find some, you know, flaw in its design and then it's really annoying. And then you think, okay, and now I need to find another one. <laughs> and then you, you know, like me, eventually spend years trying to search for that perfect rain jacket. Um, and I think you can find good stuff. But again, if you then throw in this sort of environmental aspect, it gets very, very tricky. I think that's where it becomes the trickiest because... Again, Gore-Tex solves a lot of problems and you can get a lot of different designs that use Gore-Tex fabrics. And I have, again, like another more modern hollow bar jacket that's, you know, excellent. Uh, It's the down version. It's really, really good. Uh, But yeah, at the same time, I'm conscious that, you know, it's probably not the best thing for the environment. Um, So you could have gone with something like a wax jacket, but then again, that has all sorts of other sort of usability issues as well.
0: Well, I'm, I'm quite curious about the long-term um, reliability of the new dry wax, mm. uh, waxed cottons that are being used. Um, I'm still a bit undecided on how well they work, but uh, initially they look good, and they, you have, they have avoided the sort of, as my wife would say, the sort of slimy look of the, the wax, yeah. and uh, they smell a bit less, which is good. I, I was reminded, though, uh, speaking of perverts and rainwear, uh, a few years ago i found some uh, some old helly hansen uh, rubberized cotton rainwear uh, really pretty old and in very good condition which i bought and then uh, tried to resell it was then i became aware of a sort of um, subculture who were very into this uh, i'd get questions like sort of how much experience does this rainwear have
1: does it have and, a and I, <laughs> and I
0: just, I, I just didn't cotton on to it until one of these guys started sending me photos of his, um, his Philippine woman entourage wearing his collection, and it was quite clear that this was a a major fetish pervert <laughs> thing. <laughs> so, I, I uh, my, um, my career as a, a rainwear reseller sort of ended there <laughs> oh no nick i've never <laughs>
1: heard of this you've kept that quiet
0: <laughs> I, I did i have it's, it's taken me years of therapy to get to the point where i can even mention it now but um
1: this deserves yeah. its own blog post nick you can't keep you know this to yourself we the people need to know what the hella yeah. Hansen yeah, and perverts are up to
0: it's uh it's weird um when it's out there now of course uh i probably get threats and so forth now but
1: uh, there so you go what about the sort of rubberized stuff so one thing i have to say and this is again back to the military jackets uh obviously the hancocks as well i think eventually have this issue and my 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 um my dad had a really lovely macintosh that uh, eventually uh had this the, the sort of weird glue smell that eventually appears um because I have that with like military, because I've had these military and anoraks of U.S. Navy ones. They're really, really cool, but I just it, it drove me nuts that every time I put it on, it just had this weird old glue smell. Is do you, is there any solution to that? Is that just something you have to live with?
0: I don't know. It sounds to me like the 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 glue or the rubber itself is sort of degrading to a point where it's no longer staying together. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, once that happens, I I imagine there isn't anything to be done about it. Right. Uh, It comes down to these things being made for a certain use, and they probably weren't intended to be hanging around 50, 60, 70 years later on.
1: Well, luckily, you know, Instagram pictures don't have scratch and sniff yet, um, so you can still worry for that.
0: There is that. I mean, that, that is why we buy all this stuff, isn't it? I mean, truthfully, <laughs>
1: <laughs> It's to uh, virtually high-five each other over Instagram. It definitely is. Yeah.
0: So of course we're massi- massively joking right now, <laughs> <Or> are we? <laughs> um, yeah. What Such as uh, garmology.
1: This, this is the life we've chosen. And um, so, but, but what about um, what about knitwear? Because that's another area. Because I find again going with the wolves. Um, in terms of secondhand vintage, that's another area where you can find really good value pieces. Do you, um, especially in Norway, have some awesome uh, wool? Do you uh, buy that? Are there any sort of um, tips and tricks on the uh, Norway? Did
0: Norway did have a very good and vibrant knitwear industry up until it must have been sometime in the eighties, I think. There is still some made, and it's very nice. Uh, and not horribly priced for something that is made by people who are paid for what they do. Uh, but vintage stuff, um, I mean, Norway has a lot of very traditional knitwear designs, a lot of them featuring snowflakes and the like. Uh, I do like the, the the fisherman's sweaters, but it's rare actually to come across them because I think they were a type of thing that tended to get a bit used up. Uh occasionally find them. But uh it depends who's selling because they can get good money if they're well made. Um and Norway has always had a lot of home knitters, so there's a lot of home knit stuff around which tends to be yeah, pretty good. So that's Especially one thing
1: in vintage stores that's really great, because you can if you can sort of if you know how, you know, hand knit stuff is constructed, you can very quickly spot that. And the amazing thing is, you know, if you go into a sort of generic vintage store that just has a million Aaron sweaters, uh, they usually price everything up in the same way. And so, you know, whether it's machine knit in China uh, versus, you know, hand knit Aaron sweater uh, that's in mint condition, you know, they'll both cost you 20 pounds or whatever. And so I find that that's usually where I get very tempted in vintage stores to pick up ever more. (laughs) <laughs> sort of knitwear that's very bulky, and uh, probably uh, too much of it. But it, it really is good stuff if you can find um, sort of a, a high quality um, knitwear in, in in the winter shop. That is a pretty good buy.
0: It is kind of hard to say no to, isn't it? If you find something really good at a decent price, but you know you've got so many woolly jumpers at home. Yeah. And how many can you wear? Uh, I did think of something interesting though because i noticed today that uh, there was an instagram account called uh, something like fair isle jumpers made by fair island people uh yeah the account name was something pretty clunky like that but it was actually a um, a group of seven knitters on actually on the fair isle itself which is a tiny little island up off shetland where the pattern originally came from. And I've often wondered when I've seen all these Fair Isle sweaters around that, I mean, either the Fair Isles must be absolutely full of knitting factories yeah. or else um, Fair Isle jumpers are not generally made on the Fair Isles but have just adopted the pattern. Um, the reason I was wondering about this was that there's a very good um, crime drama series called Shetland. Yes. And occasion- yeah. Occasionally they visit... Fair Isle, where Jimmy Perez, the main character, is from, and I think in one episode there was point made that there were seventy people living on the island. And I'm sort of thinking, seventy people. You're sort of thinking uh, the distribution in age and, 40 pounds. and so forth. How many, <laughs> how many pieces of knitwear would they manage to knock out every year? So finding a Instagram account where seven people have got together to produce authentically made. On the Fair Isle's Fair Isle knitwear, I thought was worthy of a mention. Pretty cool.
1: That's very cool. I'm sure half of them are also featured on their national football team or something.
0: Well, they probably have the a multitude of uh, jobs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's you know. So that's 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 the interesting interesting thing about uh, knitwear is you get all these different uh, local variations. That you? you get like the Norwegian stuff, which is really lovely. You get the Guernsey wool, which I love. Uh, like the fishermen's, uh, the, um, jumpers, you know, those can often be had for like little to no money, but are amazing quality and will last a lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you get the American stuff, which I'm always partial to as well, you know, whether that's the sort of Letterman style, you know, the cardigans and, um, the really, um, lovely, um, sweaters as well, uh, that you get. Yeah. So all, all that stuff is always very tempting in vintage stores one thing I always find is really frustrating is um, well online is tricky but uh, all the holes that you get and there's ways of mending and fixing that but one trick is uh, always to look inside the jumper and people always stare at me a little bit strange but if you look if you stick your head inside the jumper and looking up against the light you'll very quickly spot all the holes so that's another sort of tip that I often uh, use
0: did did I mention knitwear perverts
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I then do is I hold my breath for fifty counts. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: I just I just made a quick check while we were talking. Now, Fair Isle, made in Fair Isle, the Instagram account is called. So uh-huh. now they've had a, a shout out. Um, yeah,
1: if you want to drop us any free Fair Isle, Isle hand knitted vests, even I'm partial to those. Uh, yeah. Do contact me. I will drop <laughs> you the <a DM.
0: laughs> end. I was about to mention that. Uh, with regards to hand-knitted sweaters. uh, It's worth taking a moment to think how much effort it takes to hand-knit a sweater. Mm. Uh, Because while – I mean, it's very easy to see knitwear that has been knit by machine, and there are a variety of machines from the tiniest little home home knitting machines, which are really quite basic, but up to huge – machines in factories and these days of course the 3d knitting is the sort of new thing with zero waste uh, and so forth but the fact that someone sits down with a bunch of yarn and knits a sweater I mean, that's a lot of hours sitting there and it is skilled labor so finding a hand-knit jumper is really something to appreciate because someone put a lot of effort into it
1: hours and hours yeah absolutely and then you know you can see if like for example things like the tension if the tension is you know uh consistent then it should you know it'll, it'll sort of have a really nice sort of drape to it a consistent drape to it uh but obviously there'll always be a little bit of a random sort of uh, variation in that so then it, if it's properly hand knit that you get this lovely again shape to it that's just a little bit that's sort of touching consistent that just you know Uh, qualifies it as being handmade, which is lovely as well. And I guess the other thing for me that always stands out is like, I mean, this is really confusing when you read um, the descriptions of knitwear when you're buying it, right? There's all these like um, fully formed is one wording that I've often seen. Or, you know, they often don't want to say machine knit. Maybe Uh,
0: Hand knit sort of covers a lot of... uh... A lot of variants. that's
1: that's exactly it so they'll often say you know handmade or something like that and then actually what means,
0: framed
1: it's, it's actually hand framed exactly yeah 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 and it's on a massive industrial machine that i mean there's still some nice thing about you know connecting all the knitting across the machine you know in a sort of a circular pattern by hand and all but it's not exactly the same as a handmade um item is it
0: no not at all um of course, very little is handmade uh, for commercial sale these days. Well, apart from the seven ladies on the Fair Isles. Yeah. And I think uh, mm-hmm. Dawson Denim had a woman in Norfolk knitting sweaters.
1: I've actually placed an order a couple of weeks ago for that. So, yeah, so mine is going to be arriving hopefully in a few weeks. Um, yeah, so that's – that because that's exactly one of the things is I've been down the rabbit hole of figuring out um, – in the sort of new, if I wanted to buy something uh, modern, what what are the sort of uh, options in terms of getting this sort of thing that's actually hand knit? And yeah, it's it's been tricky. I mean, the best place is probably just go to Etsy or something like that. But again, you'll you'll quickly realize that you know the prices reflect the you know man hours that go into it. So it's it's not cheap, but you know if you get it made well, then actually you know that could be something that you have for decades. So. I've invested
0: in that. There really should be in a sort of uh, an adopter granny scheme uh, (laughs) where you can get someone who can sort of full-time knit for you.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, maybe there is a... Or
0: you can learn to knit yourself. I mean, apparently a lot of blokes are knitting these days. And in olden times, a lot of men did used to knit. Uh, Knitting was seen as quite a manly pursuit. And when you had spare time, you'd be knitting a new sweater or so forth. Uh, And I don't think it's that far back in time as well, which reminded me, uh, with regards to Norwegian fishermen's sweaters, possibly not just Norwegian, maybe even British ones, Um, they used to make them in different patterns. So you had your local sort of village pattern. And if you were lost at sea whilst wearing your sweater, when you sort of, um, shall we say, were found again, they could tell by the sweater where you came from? Mm. Urban myth?
1: I don't I, know. I've read this uh, several times, so I'll, I'm going to say that it's true. <laughs> the the wow. other thing that I've... Uh, the other Your thing logic I've is
0: uh, impeccable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, it was on Wikipedia once. Someone deleted it eventually, but it must have been true if it was on there once. Um ah, okay. Um, I've also actually heard that um, the different patterns have like symbolic meanings. So at the bottom something about like the sort of rope effect also means something about you know wishing someone to be safe and that sort of thing okay. so apparently if you uh, if you knew sort of the the language of that stuff you can sort of decipher uh, the patterns they're not just sort of random um, variations that you know are specific to a place that actually often have a meaning attached to them
0: or they could just be digitized versions of ancient hip-hop albums
1: Oh Nick, I don't know what you'd be referring to there. Is there any reference that you'd like to drop?
0: Oh, I mean, I'm just thinking about uh, the new knitwear that Tender has made. Yes, where what was it? Uh, the first Tribe Tribecord Quest album was it?
1: Yes. How cool is that?
0: It struck me as uh, bizarre on so many levels. In the best way, because because well, there's a sort of there's a huge nerd aspect there where you think oh yeah, that's really, really cool. But then you see this pattern which is looks entirely random and no one will ever sort of fully appreciate it until you sort of go full nerd on them and explain, well, the pattern's a digitised version of the first Tribe Called Quest album. And how cool is that? that is super cool, whereby, whereby whoever you're talking to is going to look at you and sort of think, how dumb are you?
1: How far away can I get from this person and how quickly?" But so uh, I, I would love that those, you know, because he has a hat, a scarf, and a jumper. Now, if you want to go full nerd, you get, you know, a matching set <laughs> of all three. Um, but just sort of, I guess, for, for people that might have not uh, seen this yet, go and check it out on 10Nerds. Um, on so you can find it on the website or on his Instagram. It's, yeah, it's, as Nick was saying, basically, play the album, then translate the sounds into a punch hole machine, then use that punch hole machine card to make the pattern to produce the jumper. I mean, that's just so cool, isn't it? I love that.
0: I, I love it as a, as a concept. Um, but I, I'm just, well, I mean, of course it means a lot more if that album was the album that changed your life. I mean, I think I'd like it based on, say, the Computer World album from Kraftwerk which I was always thought was the first album ever to be made entirely on computers. But I've been unable to find any reference to that.
1: I definitely heard that as well. Is this the same as the currency jumper? Have we just both read some random Wikipedia page that we both remember?
0: We might be in the Garmology echo chamber (laughs) of false
1: facts.
0: (laughs) But yeah, uh, there is
1: that. So I'm just thinking here, we've covered jackets and we covered sort of tops in terms of knitwear. What about trousers? Uh, woolly trousers? Do you have any recommendations for that? Or vintage woolly trousers could be um,
0: Well, trousers for cold weather, there are, there are really two options. I mean, either you can have trousers that are thick and windproof and warm. you could mold skin would be good, boiled wool tweed could be good though not really i mean loose tweed does tend to blow right through um denim of a certain weight uh what i have that really sorts me out on a cold day is some really old vintage norwegian boiled wool trousers i mean they're basically made of a similar fabric to a duffel coat and they are brilliant (laughs) I can't even remember where I found them though, but I had to felt some holes to, to fix them up. But very good. Uh, so
1: because boiled wool basically is, you sort of put it put it through the boiling process and that makes it really dense and sort of puffy, right? Really, and sort
0: of- It's really a, a felting process. I think that's what it's really called. Um, I actually managed to felt a sweater last year. Uh, totally inadvertently, I discovered the process for felting a, a sweater and at the same time, changing its size from extra large to extra 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 small um where where i put it in the washing machine i think i only put it at 40 degrees because i wanted to sort of shrink it from an xl to a a large uh and i felt so stupid afterwards uh that's one of those moments where you wish you could turn back time it's really nice sweater as well a vintage mulberry sweater
1: Oh
0: no! Uh, and now it's uh tiny
1: <laughs> <Picture dogs. laughs> I
0: don't think I, I think even one of the dogs could get it on it's about <laughs> si- size one year old <laughs> no. but it, but the, the density of it is amazing I mean it became totally felted you can't make out the knit in it any longer it's just dense wool so if I could have got it on uh, it would have been really nice and warm and windproof
1: so that's how much wool they would have to use to actually make a pair of trousers then
0: that's uh actually pretty perceptive yeah i think you do need a lot more wool to do it uh the second um winter tip which is really good is that if you have trousers that aren't too tight this excludes everyone every male lad under the age of 30 i suppose um uh, merino long johns yes are brilliant uh a pair of them under your jeans, and uh, you'll stay much warmer than putting on.
1: See, I think there's a cultural thing as well because I mean, so I have a you know mixed cultural background, including Scandinavian, and because of that, I know about merino <laughs> long johns because I grew up with them. But I find people in the UK they just don't, they don't, yeah, they just don't do the thing about you know, wearing what's appropriate for the weather as much. <laughs> and I think it's because the weather here isn't bad enough. So, you know, you don't risk dying <laughs> from, from, uh, you know, from a bad uh, weather day. So you just get a little bit cold and that's about it. But, um, you know, it, it's a serious thing when you live in sort of sub-zero, uh, temperatures, uh, long johns are sort of, you know, essential.
0: Yeah. It's strange you should mention that because, um, I remember when I was a student in Manchester in the early 90s and Manchester midwinter it's windy it's cold it's damp it's ah oh, and I hate being cold I mean I'd dress up warm and people would say oh you're from Norway you must be dead hard <laughs> I mean, this is this is no, this isn't cold at all compared to Norway and I think bloody hell. And I'd see these young lads I mean tiny little kids in their shorts heading to school in this weather and I think Scandinavians hard no way I mean no. these little lads in their shorts they're
1: hard <laughs> exactly exactly no I have an exact I mean I have a hundred of those experiences exactly the same it's like oh come on you have your Viking heritage it's like no but all that does is make me sensible about the jacket I choose in the morning it doesn't yeah. you know it doesn't actually mean that I'll go out there and have a t-shirt
0: and you make sure you're living in a warm house and you've got warm clothes and you ah, oh, no, you don't want to get cold
1: so, okay, because um, one, one thing with the trousers, though, the other bit is, so we've said um, Long John's Essential, some good wooly ones, boiled wool I'm going to definitely explore. Hunting trousers, though, vintage hunting trousers, I have a couple. Um, some of them are from Pendleton, uh, and okay. they are, I mean, you can get them for a really you know, not, not a lot of money because it's, uh, it's a niche product. You know, it's not one of those hyped vintage items, but they are. Awesome. Mm-hmm. On a cold day, a nice pair of sort of uh, thick hunting trousers. I mean you can you can you know you can go in sub zero temperatures, no problem.
0: I can hear the keyboards firing up now while people start investigating. <laughs> uh, I that's actually something I haven't come across before. So um you'll have to put me uh, put me onto where, where they can find those.
1: Yeah, I can I can send some pictures of the ones I have as well. they yeah, it's, there's some really lovely um dense, dance, dance woolly Thick trousers, um, And I'm sure vintage stores uh, that you go to would have them.
0: Uh, which sort of brings us down to the footsies. Where are you there?
1: Well, I was we talking socks or shoes?
0: I'll uh, start with the boots or the shoes.
1: So, vintage boots. So, this is another area where sort of, I guess, sort of panning back to the thing about um, vintage often has uh, uh, sort of real value in those places where the production cost isn't necessarily reflected in the hype cost. You know, those two things aren't sort of the same uh, because you can get some really, really high quality boots and uh, winter shoes for not a lot of money. Um, as long as you don't want the, you know, very specific thing that others might be looking for, like mock toe hunting boots and things like that. Those have sort of gone up in value. my favorite sort of vintage styles uh, would just be, any sort of generic um, workwear style boot, I have uh, bought a couple over the years. That's just in good condition. Um, that's the that's, that's the trick, though. Is finding some that are in good condition, where in particular the sole hasn't hasn't been worn too much, so that you know it has the shape of someone else's foot. Because you know, if the mm. cork or leather in it has changed shape, then you are going to have to get that resold unless you happen to fit that shoe. It's Not just about sizing at that point because you know someone else's uh, footprint can be completely different to yours and then they'll be very uncomfortable uh, very quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I then that's you know if you can if you sense if you're able to so sort of sense um, the quality of the leather and ideally if it, if it is like a good year welt construction or something like that, you know that's gonna last your lifetime. So usually, what I would do is the ones that I've bought, I've always just saddle soaped them, get all the years worth of dirt but also random conditioners out and then usually I just put feeders on it um, uh, rather than any polish or anything like that I'm not too big on that so yeah just any any sort of workwear boot um, or even military boots that you can get uh, in good condition in terms of the sole uh, insole and the leather and then I think you know for usually about let's call it forty two. 60 quid, you probably have a boot uh, or a shoe that will last you many, many years.
0: Yeah, I was going to mention the army boots um, because you do have stuff like Swedish army boots that are available, uh, even dead stock cheap, Mm. uh, which might be good winter boots. Uh, From my own brief period in the army, I remember we didn't even have winter boots. We just had the regular NATO boots and uh, wool socks in them. And in minus 30, you did get cold toes. Oh, sure. uh, what, what you really want is a, a boot with um, half a size, maybe a full size larger during the winter, and then good thick winter socks.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point about the sizing. Um, that's, I mean, that's another reason to always try it on in person um, with vintage. I mean, it's almost impossible to shop vintage shoes online, I find. Um, but that's a really good point about um making sure that you can have a pair of socks in them as well.
0: And wool socks. uh, Avoid any cotton on the feet during the cold because cotton, when it gets damp, it just leeches the warmth out of your feet or your body for that part. Uh, So wool all the way, really. So I'll say uh,
1: cotton socks underneath, wool socks on top. I always double sock (laughs) all throughout winter.
0: I'd actually, uh, I'd actually avoid the, the the cotton socks underneath. Really, but I, what I would do, and this is controversial, I'm going back on my former firmly put points here, is that uh, when it comes to socks, I do accept synthetics mixed with the wool because right. pure wool socks don't last long at all.
1: Yeah, that's, so uh, that's a real issue. Actually, get some get
0: some polyester into them, and they'll be nice and strong and last for ages.
1: Any particular sock brands that you like?
0: I don't even know what they're called, but uh, for the my really cold weather socks, I buy at my local grocery store. <laughs> I remember that, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and uh, They're pretty pair. much no-name brands and they come in a range of colors that is only gray. And I mean, they are ugly as sin, but they are washable, they're warm, and they last like crazy and they hardly cost much at all. I think I get three pairs for a tenner. Uh, And compared to the sort of typical fancy Japanese uh, heavily patterned socks that people like to show on Instagram, which don't last long and aren't very warm, but do look very nice, I mean, it's a different world.
1: I I certainly had an image of you doing the sort of, um, I don't know what this is called, you know, the sort of pull-up salvage on the boot, you know, the really sort of iconic picture that every mocks and socks instagrammer has uh yeah so i'll have that image of you in sort of a really generic sensible pair of winter boots uh zero patina or anything of interest and then really generic socks um and a sensible pair of long johns underneath that's what i'm imagining right now maybe that should be the next post (laughs)
0: uh yeah Uh, i i I sense that that is what the world wants no i mean uh, talking about instagram trends there aren't you i mean uh, you don't want to deviate too much but uh yeah everything is trend driven these days fashion everything
1: but i guess there's a thing about you know there is the you know some things that look nice and that's fine but look when when the winter hits you know You need to survive it. And so prancing is fine to some extent, but, you know, be sensible out there. Wear wear your socks. Wear your long johns. Get some sensible boots and, you know, trousers. Maybe wear a nice hand-knitted jumper and get yourself a nice tweed jacket. And then, you know, you have the full garmology look, don't you? Yeah, you can put an old
0: old field jacket on top of the tweed jacket.
1: Right, yeah, double double Uh, jacket.
0: But winters are so different because I see some guys saying that, oh, winter's here. I'm going to get out my Red Wing mock toes. And for me, they are summer boots. Uh, Wear them when it starts getting cold, and they are freezing cold. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my go-to winter boots for the past seven or eight years now, and I make a point every year of mentioning that they're still here, they're still as good, are also a pair of Red Wings. But the ice cutters –
1: Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And
0: mine are a bit oversized, so I can get good wool socks in them. The sole is super good on snow and ice. And uh, seven, eight years on, I can't remember exactly now, they're still as good as new.
1: Yeah, the sole is a really big issue. I find that a lot of boots just have silly soles on them, especially for these kind of like uh, wet weathers. You, you know, I've seen the loads with uh, crep soles, for example. Uh, looks great, but, you know, You try to walk on this, you know, wet or snowy day with crap soles. I mean, it's made for the desert, really. It's not really um, for anything anything that's remotely wet. But ice cutters, again, sensible soles. A lot of the ones the Red Wing has, uh, I used to have the ones with the sort of cork sole, and that's awful.
0: They'd be lethal, yeah. Yeah. uh, The white Christy sole is also lethal. Yes, but other people say that oh, they're best winter boots ever, and I'm thinking your winters are not my winters.
1: Yeah, they're not genuine <laughs> winters. Because the thing that I've gotten into recently, which you quite like as well, I think, is the Vibram Mini Lug. That's something that I really, um, really appreciated. Uh, great soles, not too, not too heavy, but still has enough sort of a, of a profile to give you good grip on a wet day.
0: Mm, definitely. There is one point we have completely. Not looked at headgear.
1: Oh, I know this is this is uh, one of your pet peeves, isn't it? In terms of oh the, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, for me, woolly hats are pretty much the province of the barista working <laughs> indoors making coffee.
1: Oh, there you, Nick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hipsters everywhere, recoil in shock,
1: including me, obviously. But yeah, go on. <laughs> but,
0: I mean wind just blows right through it and I don't know if my head is particularly sensitive or what but I do not deal well with a cold head so I have been looking out for a long time now for warm winter hats I mean properly warm sort of the equivalent of a proper warm winter jacket for your head but it's hard to find
1: didn't you so do did a collab with the sort of uh, deer, was it sort of deer hunter style? I or?
0: did uh, did do a collaboration with Mister Miller Caps last okay. winter, uh, and he made me a uh, Harris Tweed hunting cap with shearling lining. Wow! And uh, it is excellent. Wow! And it wasn't that expensive. It's uh, one of these things that will last a long time and keep my head properly warm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, so the, the, and the design of that was what they had the ear flaps as well, right? That was ear only... flaps,
0: so you can put them down over your ears or put them up at the top if, uh, if uh, it's not that cold. Of course, uh, there were a lot of Elmer Fudd jokes and uh, so forth from the non believers, but uh, yeah. I don't know. A warm head trumps most bad jokes.
1: Well, depends. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, what? on the Elmer Fudd point, that was going to be the way that I was going to go. Is if you want something that's a little bit sort of still rugged, um, the hunting caps are really sensible because again, they're sort of utilitarian design. You know, they're not just for good looks. So anything that has those ear flaps, sort of Charlie Brown style, they're great. But you also get those really cool military ones. Um, I'm, I'm sure the military buffs will now be shouting in their head, uh, headphones. But the, the ones that sort of, I think they're sort of aviator style ones that you get, which has a cap as well. But then I oh, think yeah. Eastman does it with the sherling on the inside. That that looks like it would keep every, anyone warm. So that's really nice as well.
0: I actually have one uh, that just arrived from Australia, made in kangaroo skin, uh, a sort of aviator cap from uh, Kakadu, Australia, which I'm looking forward to trying. Uh, I'm not sure how it will look on, but it's lovely and warm and furry. Right.
1: So it was the inside. I mean, I know kangaroo leather, but is it furry from the kangaroo, or what's the fur bit?
0: I'm not entirely certain. That's a good question, because I don't think kangaroos generally are very sort of um, cuddly, are they?
1: No, maybe they have They're some dis- that I don't displaying know
0: Displaying a total lack of insight in uh, <laughs> Australian fauna here, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well there I'm are sure. there are military caps uh, or hats. Certainly, uh, I remember from again my brief period in the army that uh, we had uh, one which was named after the private parts of a female bear. I think someone at once decided that's what it looked like, but that was very warm during the winter.
1: Right. And if you want to go sort of full uh, quirky, you go with one of those Russian. Uh, what are they called? Is it Ushinka or something like that? Uh,
0: something like that, yeah.
1: You know, the big bear fur things and those, yeah. I mean, you can probably just wear that and nothing else in most con- sort of weather's conditions and, and, and be fine. I
0: was about to say they probably have their own special interest group.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm sure there's similar <laughs> to the Anorak ladies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well. I think we've sort of come to the, to the end of the end of the road here now, Ducky. Sure. Uh, did you ever get a proper reply on your question about uh, wool overcoats?
1: I did. I did. I got loads of um, yeah, loads of tips off you now uh, to go with. Um, I think I'm just going to have to search, and then you know, uh, no doubt I'll be dropping you a bunch of pictures and <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. trying to get your opinion on.
0: Have a look for Inverteur.
1: Yeah, that's a good call. They great? have
0: just they have just started up again as a brand, I noticed. Um, I don't know what they're going to be making, but uh, it could just be one of these reboot, uh, bought the brand name things, or they might actually be starting up a proper factory again, I suppose. Uh,
1: Inverteur, if you heard hear this and you want a really small um, Instagrammer that has zero influence, please contact me, and uh, we may be too able to work something out.
0: <laughs> okay Dacky. lovely Th- thanks, thanks for week. now and uh happy happy search oh thank and you we'll very talk, much talk again soon and that was all for this week thanks to Dacky for being my guest you can find him on instagram as rugged frills and uh, he's also been a guest twice before. So if you look at the backlog of the podcast on your favourite podcast service, you'll find it there. If you'd uh, like to get in touch, my email address is welldressedad at gmail.com. You can find uh, all previous episodes of the podcast on your favourite podcast service or on the blog at welldressedad.com in the section for Gamology. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, it's welldressedad. So, thanks a lot for listening. If you do listen to us on a uh, podcast service, I really appreciate a rating or a nice comment. Uh, thanks a lot and uh, catch you again next week. Bye bye.